Roman Reigns, Logan Paul, and pro wrestling. In this episode, we get into all of it. Logan Paul is a YouTuber with over 23 million subscribers and is known for his controversy in sports as well as on YouTube. Now he faces Roman Reigns, one of the largest antagonists in WWE history and the longest running champion of the sport. This Saturday, November 5th, they fight. Mike Slazy brings us behind the scenes and uses his many years as a veteran, commentator, producer, and even wrestler to help us understand what is it actually like in pro wrestling? What does it actually mean to be a pro wrestler? What is the context to understand this Logan Paul versus Roman Reigns fight that's coming up and gives us everything in a digestible format? So let's stay curious, learn about Mike, pro wrestling, Logan versus Roman Reigns, and more in this episode of the Learning Lowell podcast. The first question I want to ask, and I want to just throw it out to one of our longtime listeners, uh, Breton, if you're listening, these questions, this first two are for you. Um, th so there's a slap that's heard around the world. John Stossel got himself slapped. So what is this? Why is this interesting? And why did he get himself slapped? Okay, so John Stossel is known for being... Okay, I, I may ha have to say this right off the bat because I do have a little bit of color in my language sometimes. So forgive me if that tends to be an issue. No, have fun. <laughs> um, but um, so what had happened was he was egging some professional wrestlers on behind the scenes. Now in professional wrestling, as a general rule, what you see in the ring and what you see backstage usually two different things. And we'll probably explore that a lot more uh, as this episode goes through our normal th uh, cadence. Uh, but uh, he was talking with a gentleman named David Schultz. And David Schultz was working in 1984, 85 for WWF, now the WWE, but back then it was still called the World Wrestling Federation. And <laughs> John Stossel decided to go up to this man right after a match, right after he had gotten, I don't want to say hurt, hurt, but it hurts when you mm -hmm. go through a professional wrestling match. There's a lot of adrenaline. There's a lot of anger that gets thrown about through there, especially if something didn't go right or something of that nature. John Stossel decided to go up to this professional wrestler and say, Hey, is this stuff fake? <laughs> and, um, to David's credit or not credit, he didn't take it well. And he slapped him in the face and said, hey, does this feel fake to you? That's an open face slap. We do this all the time in the ring. And it's absolutely true. That does happen a lot. And the, the point of the matter was that while yes, the pre the the outcomes of the match are predetermined it's still a physical activity that's happening it's no different than two actors uh doing a fight scene and in fact it's a very close to that except the difference is that in a movie everything is move for move for move done for the camera and sometimes in multiple takes whereas in professional wrestling you get one take you get one shot and if something goes wrong something goes wrong you got to make make it up as you go and in some cases um especially with certain people like um i'm trying to think of a good example of this macho man randy Sanders, savage was a good example of the opposite where he wanted every single move called out every single time there are a lot of people out in the professional wrestling business especially on the indies where they will have a general idea of what to do and then call it in the ring so maybe 
today we're going to do a couple of punches and then a kick, or sometimes it'll be a couple of punches and then maybe a hip toss or something like that. It's always different for them. Other people, they want it specific. But in terms of this particular circumstance, John Stossel being the general jackass that he is, tried to, you know, tell this professional wrestler high on adrenaline and probably some steroids too. We won't confirm or deny that, especially when it was the mid eighties. Uh, but yeah, it, it was stupid and um, you got slapped in the face over it <laughs> and it caused a lot of issues and they got sued. Uh, Vince got sued, I believe um, at the time. Um, I think uh, I think he's, they settled for an undisclosed sum or some ridiculous thing, but yeah, it, that's pretty much what it was. Hmm. How do you call it in the ring? Is there like, is there like a subtle, like in terms of prep, prep, uh, preparing for a match, do they, do they rehearse it beforehand and that's what's calling in the ring? Or is there some way that they let each other know what's going to happen as they move through the arc of their characters? Okay. And this goes back to, it depends on hmm. where you're working, who you're working with, how close you know these guys. Um, as a general rule, especially on the independent scene versus a place like WWE where it's like everybody knows each other because they're constantly working each other. Uh, WWE has 300 dates, give or take a year when they hmm. go out on the road and, and do this stuff. Um, it may be a little bit less since the pandemic, but it's about that right now. When you call something in the ring, you're usually got an idea of what the booker, the person who's in charge of the promotion wants to have happen at the end. So um, for instance, I'm working Joey, Brooklyn Joe, okay? I'm working Brooklyn Joe over there. And the, the finish of the match is Brooklyn Joe is supposed to pin me with his finisher. That's all I know. Okay, he's he's what's called going over me, winning the match, I'm losing, and we have to work backwards on how we're going to get there. And there's a, a very specific uh, set of ways of going about planning for a match that usually cause them the most amount of excitement in front of a crowd. So we'll go backwards. Okay, so the finish is you're going to hit me with your big move and you're going to pin me one, two, three, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so how do we get there? Well, before that, um, you'll give me like a spot where I'm, I'm fighting back, trying to get back up and win. And, and you just turn around, slam me, finish one, two, three. Okay. Now we go back further and then work our way back through the match backwards. Um, sometimes it's just a communication inside the ring. We'll get up close and we'll talk like in a, a a hold or he's got me in a headlock will actually communicate from there hmm. and we'll say hey okay uh throw me off and uh i'll i'll you hit me with a clothesline or something and then you throw him off and you go boom done you know that kind of stuff happens and, and this is the kind of stuff that where i will i'm going to preface this by saying a lot of the things that i'm going to be talking about when it comes to professional wrestling especially in this arena I'm intentionally pulling the curtain back here a little bit because I feel like that it's more important to show why mm -hmm. professional wrestling is so amazing and so cool and so intricate in that respect. Because it's almost like, um, are you familiar with um, 
the mystery uh, mysteries of magic revealed series um from like late to early 2000s ish like something's coming up but i I don't remember the, the mass magician and all all it was was uh fox had this show called mysteries of magic revealed oh okay all yeah do, all he would do is just take major magic tricks and then reveal how it was done mm -hmm. and it was this it was this cool thing in the, the like i said late 90s early 2000s i can't remember exactly what it was but the point of that was um or at least at the time is that they wanted to pull the the curtain back on that stuff to show how amazing and technical the actual magic was yeah obviously it's magic but magic isn't real just like professional wrestling isn't real you know and, and i say isn't real in the sense that it's predetermined we're not really actually hitting each other for the most part um but there are times where you know sometimes you need to see some of the magic behind the scenes to appreciate how much work goes into this stuff mm -hmm. yeah it I appreciate that because that is a fascinating aspect kind of behind the curtain, especially when you when you don't know it and you hear the intricacy that I think that it evokes a lot of passion, and a lot of people to at the very least try it out and see it for themselves for the for the art. So the 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 bouts themselves can be predetermined Are do the play the players characters. You know, I don't know the nomenclature, how to say this appropriately, but do they have arcs for seasons? Do they like work out like this is the they were going to lose like 12 in a row in a certain way so that when they have a comeback on the 12th one like there's a big like roar for it like how much is this how much is this is like written in advance and then is it kind of like star wars in the sense that like there's like a group of people that like keep a continuity of the of the arcs as things go through like and then how how do the players play into the arcs i mean that's a really big question but i'm, I'm curious like the the, long, the longevity of of the arcs how how well they determined and then like how are they controlled and then how do the players play into developing their arcs as they go because you have people like the rock or uh or these other uh people that like i think even even if you had no idea what WWE like you hear some of their like, catchphrases and some of their arcs just in like their the, the regular day so i'm curious like how are those developed so once again, I, I hate saying this, but it depends. It depends on what company you work for. It depends on um, uh, who you're working with. Um, a place like WWE, absolutely, that stuff is built long-term. You're, you're talking months. They have a full set of creative writers, a creative writing staff that are based on, um, in some cases, they, they pull from different uh, walks of television life. Like some uh, for a while there, they were, um, bringing in soap opera writers. Sometimes they're bringing, uh, Freddie Prince Jr. is probably the most well-known um, WWE writer from outside the professional wrestling business um, that came in and, and wrote a bunch of stuff for WWE. Sometimes it's other wrestlers writing this stuff in WWE. Um, in uh, some of the smaller independent wrestling um, organizations, there's a place called Chikara that... Um, it's pretty much dead now. Um, some pieces live on in different organizations, but Chikara was very, very storyline driven to the point where they had their own comic. There were the the characters that they were playing were almost superhuman in in some ways or uh, supernatural. Um, they had uh, something called the Ant Colony, and uh, they had a bunch of different. Um, characters that were truly it was true truly character-based wrestling and like i said they had a comic book that uh, supplemented it um mm. and in other places 
uh, where it's just like one-off, two-off matches, like uh, a squared circle wrestling from upstate New York. They closed in about 2015, but they were all about the, okay, what happens if these two guys faced these two guys? Let's see what happens. And that's all, that's all the story was. It was this cool marquee match. And a lot of independent wrestling organizations, especially the small to medium ones, tend to fall on that because it's the greatest way to pull in fans as, as quickly as, as possible. Because at the end of the day, this is a business. We're trying to make money. Everyone's trying to make money. The wrestlers are trying to make money. The promoters are trying to make money. The, the staff there are renting out the building. Everybody's trying to make money off of all of this. So it, 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 it's definitely a, a depending uh, factor, but even still, when like for instance, um, and this happened more in the '90s. You'd have a car group of guys going from show to show to show. Um, a good example of this would be like uh, currently WWE. What do you call him? An administrator, I guess you'd call him. He's an on-screen administrator, Adam Pierce. Adam Pierce and Colt Cabana uh, were well known in the Indies. Uh, for the NWA uh, World Championship, they traded the world, the NWA World Championship, back and forth through different uh, territories and different uh, promotions. And while technically each promotion was their own entity, they had this built-in storyline of they were always constantly feuding. But in reality, they were just driving down the road like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So there, there's little bits and pieces of that in every single story. Makes sense. The what. What's your fascination with it? Is it the stories? Is it the physicality of it? Is it the energy of of seeing it live? Like what what's what are the and maybe it's just like a spaghetti bit of everything, but what's what are the angles that you're really excited about when it comes to WWE and, and wrestling in general? Basically, yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it, everything about it's always been a, a there's always been some sort of different aspect of it that fascinates me from the storyline driven things. Like everyone has this thought about hating your boss well they played that out in the late 90s with stone cold steve austin and the boss vince mcmahon in wwf slash wwe that was one of the biggest hottest uh, angle storylines of all time because it was the ultimate in what a normal person would have deal with from a day-to-day life yeah i don't like my boss well this is this redneck jerk is just going up and beating up his own boss and his boss can't do anything about it because he made the the guy makes him so much money it, mm-hmm. it was the ultimate in living out almost a fantasy in that respect you know being able to say yeah i i'm good enough for this job so much so that i'm beating up my own boss when he you know tells me to go stuff it you know mm-hmm. and you know stuff like that always interests me um i also am interested in the 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 carnival or the carny aspect of professional wrestling. Um, I, outside of professional wrestling, I do a lot of different things that fall in that gray area. You know, I play poker, I do uh, security research. So I'm dabbling in that stuff. So I know a lot about social engineering and all that fun stuff. And, you know, just, uh, there's a lot of different pieces of that, that kind of sing to my heart, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then from the physicality aspect of it, being able to, to, to see somebody do some really cool athletic moves, be able to sell a, you know, 
you know, somebody throwing a punch in such a way that they're not hitting you, but you make it look like they're hitting you is so cool. I mean, just having that ability to do that is just, it, it's so amazing to me. And it's always been something that I've always been, you know, um, enamored with throughout the years. I've been a lifelong wrestling fan. I'm 37 years old. I've been watching this stuff since I was seven. Hmm. You know, this is, this has been basically my life. Are there, um, in terms of in-person or online, uh, when you can watch online, I imagine in-person is just electrically different than just like watching something on a screen. So then what, what are some of the events in the last 30 years that really stand out to you that you, you went to in, in person and what were the, like the story arcs playing out that really were exciting for you? Um, I think I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've done so many events. I've, I've, you know, worked so many events. I've uh, been a fan of so many events. Um, probably my, my biggest one is probably the most recent one, the, um, WrestleMania 34. 34 34 i'm gonna say it's 34 it was the one in uh, uh most recent one in new orleans um it featured probably the last real in-person match of the undertaker um it was also following a storyline arc of an undefeated uh female joshi wrestler uh named asuka facing her big opponent um in Charlotte Flair, the daughter of the legendary Ric Flair, who was the champion at the time. And it was a big storyline of, will she defeat the undefeated challenger or will the undefeated challenger continue with a title? And it was a whole, that was a whole big thing. And of course there was, um, that was also a, a Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Uh, Brock Lesnar, if you're not familiar with him outside of professional wrestling, he was in UFC. He was a Minnesota Viking uh, for a cup of coffee. The, the man is just amazingly athletically gifted, unlike anybody else I've ever seen in my life. So, but yeah, that was probably my favorite one as a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, as a performer, um, some of the the shows I worked for, I, I worked uh, at Excite Wrestling in Binghamton, New York, a lot. Um, probably the the biggest show there was probably the one where we had uh, uh, Ricochet and Johnny Gargano on the show, and it, just being able to to talk with them after the fact, just being able to to converse with them, and and that's the nice part is that I got to meet a lot of people through that locker room that you see on WWE TV now, so. Mm-hmm. Is there um? Could you imagine a universe where you step in the ring? Is that like something you'd ever want to do? Or I have. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, so I am. Uh, so I'm. I've been trained uh, by uh, Mark House and uh, Colin Delaney. In fact, if if you are looking right here, that mm-hmm. is me in a five on five match. Um, but yeah, it just just having the uh, ability to work a match, be able to to script stuff out, be able to do my own storylines, being able to do all that stuff has been amazing for me. Um, being able to, to do that is very rare. And that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm more willing to open, you know, pull back the curtain a little bit more because it, it shows what type of history is in within professional wrestling as well. Yeah. 
the when it comes to just going to an event, so for people who are, you know, they're learning about WD right now and wrestling through us, how, how would you suggest they get the most out of an event? Like, I, I, I think the big thing would be going to something nearby and there's a lot, I mean, I, I was looking at on online and there's like, there's something, there's like something going on uh, all over across the, the nation uh, in the U S if you're in the U- Europe, I don't know how that works, but, uh, how, how, how would you suggest they get the most out of it? Is there like rituals that you do? Like, uh, I know like for football, they do like tailgating and stuff. I don't know if that's in wrestling as well, but like, what are the things that you do if you were just a fan going to in- enjoy a match to get the most out of the match? Oh, right it's just now? like pure enjoyment. Yeah. Just buy a ticket. That's it. <laughs> I mean, it just feel once you go to your first show, you'll understand, you mm-hmm. know, I, it, it's one of those things where it, it's hard to pinpoint what you want out of it until you experience it. For me, it's going to be different than for you, which is going to be different than one of your listeners, which is going to be different depending on even in the region that you're in. And it's going to be different for what show you go to. Like if you go to a WWE show versus uh, the main competitor to WWE currently right now is AEW, All Elite Wrestling. Um, and they're like, a, they have their own TV deal. So they're, they're pretty big. They're owned by the son of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Hmm. Uh, son of the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, yeah. Cody Khan. Um, but there's all sorts of indie events as well. Uh, there's a... I hate to say local, but because they've, they've gone everywhere, including in Japan right now, and they're going to Europe soon too. Uh, GCW, Game Changer Wrestling. Um, they're known for being more of a violent professional wrestling. So they're using like thumbtacks, pizza wow. cutters, light tubes. Uh, they're breaking stuff all over each other. And the, the feelings that you get with that kind of stuff are going to be significantly different than a PG related product like WWE, where it's more about athleticism and storyline driven um, progression. So my, my suggestion to you uh, and to your listeners is take a look at what's local, buy a ticket, take a look, see if you like it. If it's, if there's some pieces of it that you like it and others that you don't, like maybe you don't like death match wrestling. Some people don't, so be it. There are other promotions out there. There's other ways to, to enjoy this product. It's not just one thing. Um, one mm-hmm. of the things that I, I, I absolutely love and there's not enough of is comedic style wrestling. Um, and there's um, a big promotion in Japan called DDT that's really into comedic wrestling. Um, Chikara also had that to a lesser extent. Uh, Kaiju Big Battle is another one that uh, uh, works out of New York, which is basically exactly what it sounds like if you're familiar at all with uh, Kaiju is basically literally oversized monsters wrestling in a wrestling ring. They're literally oversized like Godzilla wrestling in an oversized Godzilla costume. It's craziness and i mm. love every second of it you that know, sounds fun it, and that's kind of the point of where professional wrestling came from is that wrestling was a piece of the three ring circus and professional wrestling done correctly kind of mimics this three ring circus in the fact that you are um 
there's going to be something for everybody. There should be a comedy match on the show. There should be some sort of semi-violent match. There should be something that's athletic. There should be something that's more lucha based. There should be something that's, you know, big meaty men slapping me, you know, type of thing. You know, it's just, there's going to be different things for everyone if it's done correctly. And that's, and that's the key thing about professional wrestling as a whole is that there should be something for everybody. Um, and unfortunately, for good or bad, sometimes that stuff gets, you know, um, fetishized, if nothing else. You know, um, sometimes uh, women's wrestling gets fetishized. Sometimes ultraviolet wrestling gets fetishized. You know, th- but the reality is that some people just like it because it's interesting. Like for me personally, I, I'm a huge fan of what's called Joshi wrestling. Uh, once again, in Japan, uh, female wrestlers will um, just you know, it's just basically fighting, hard hitting, uh, professional Mm -hmm. wrestling. Um, but in the U S you don't see that as much anymore, or frankly, not until now when WWE's put more of a, um, an emphasis on it now where it's not the two minute bathroom break match. It's not all about the, the bra and panties matches of the two thousands and nineties era. It's actually professional wrestling done by women. And I think that's one of the greatest things about this is it's showing, you know, not just men, but women can do this kind of stuff. And it, and it does, it does show a great deal of respect to the, the product as a whole. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of versatility. So it's really just get in there, try something and then, you know, uh, play into it. Because I think something that's really missing nowadays is that there was like this big trend of going online in terms of like, especially COVID accelerating this. But then there's such a dearth of things that are in person and live that now that there's something like this, that you know, it's going to open up a lot of listeners eyes into something new. I think that'll be really exciting for, you know, a friend group going and trying something new. Um, are there, are there like tiers to the, to the seating or is it like one ticket for all? It depends on the show. Um, yeah. WWE does tiered seating. Uh, AEW mm-hmm. does tiered seating. Ring of Honor does do like a couple of rows and then general admission. Most indie shows will sell the front row and then general admission. Um, for the most part, unless it's a big arena, general admission's fine for your first show. Sweet. Um, for for um, when you're when you're wrestling and when you wrestle, what's the support to do the job in terms of like you're doing a lot of work, you're doing a lot of uh, choreography. You're do, um, and you're doing, you'll be doing a lot of shows, as you said, like, uh, for, I think WWE, there's like 300 plus shows uh, a year. What's the, what's the, like the medical support, the infrastructural support. So you can do your best at each match. Like, how does that actually like st- structurally look like? Well, the, this not great part is that there isn't much, um, mm. each state has their own regulation when it comes to professional wrestling. Um, some states are better than others. Some states, it's just more expensive to run a show. Um, in New York State, you have to have an ambulance sitting there. You cannot run a show without an ambulance. You cannot run a show without a doctor on site. You cannot run a show without insurance on the show. In Delaware or New Jersey, none of that's needed. So it's completely different depending on the state. So it's usually left up to the professional wrestler themselves to make sure that they're getting the um, medical care that they need, that they're doing the, um, the 
basically the stretching and the exercise that they need to, to get through a match. For me personally, I, I am trained um, the last five or six years. I've been doing just non-wrestling stuff, but I'll be like ringside being a manager and just showing off the, the guy that I'm, you know, saying is the next big thing, you know, type of thing. Um, but even stuff like that, I slip and fall all the time. I'll take bumps all the time. You know, I, I will get physical in the ring and sometimes it happens, you know, um, I've been, um, I've been hit with chairs. I've been hit with my own cane. I, I come to the ring with a cane. Um, I, I've been hit with all sorts of different things. I've been, I've taken moves left, right, and center. Um, so, but if something happened to me, you know, in that respect, I'm going to the hospital. I better have my health insurance. Mm. And there's a lot of people in the wrestling business that don't. Is that, if you could, if you could design, if you were, um, I guess building your own wrestling organization, is, is that how you'd keep it? Or is there an optimal way that takes care of the wrestler while keeping costs at a level that doesn't add too much overhead? You know, like how would you set things up? The problem, up to you. yeah, the problem right now with professional wrestling is it's still listed as an independent contractor. You know, mm -hmm. every single professional wrestler, including all the way up to WWE are independent contractors. They're not employees of whatever organization they're doing. Now, okay. from a legal standpoint, it's been played around with a lot in court. Um, there are many different other arenas outside of professional wrestling that have been kind of iffy about independent contractorship. Uh, key cases like Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and all that stuff are having an, an actual effect on this. So the reality is that at what point do you no longer are considered an independent contractor and now are an employee and are required to have health insurance based on state laws and based on federal laws and make sure that, that you have certain things like days off. Once again, when you talk about a WWE wrestler, they're on the road 300 days a year. They don't necessarily get vacation days. They don't get holidays off. They're an independent contractor. That's what they do. You know, when Monday Night Raw happens and it's on Labor Day, they're still going to be there, you know? Um, and that's the thing is that nowadays, I'm not sure how it looks because there's no unions in professional wrestling, there's no grouping of people to get together and stuff. And, and just me, me even saying the word union and professional wrestler will get me thrown out of most any promotion. Uh, mm. But th the reality is it's needed uh, for multiple different reasons. Um, I think that running a professional wrestling organization, even in 2022 is so hard and without a ton of money behind you, it's just not worth doing because at the end of the day, you're still trying to run a business. It's not easy to do. Yeah. 300 days a year. I, I can't imagine a profession that's more physical than that in terms of what you're doing. I, or entertainment or any field. I mean, I think even like the military, like you have days off. I mean, you'd have to be like actively in a war zone to have like 300 straight days right. of like preparing for something like that. That's a lot. Is the, um, do they make enough to take care of themselves in that way? Like, I don't know the average mean and median for the, for the, the pay scale 
outside of the passion and for for doing it i think i imagine there's a lot of people just do it for that reason do people make enough where they can take care of themselves take care of their families depends yeah (laughs) um that's the short answer um guys that you're basically a made guy once you go to wwe or AEW right now Mm. um and those those salaries and i use the word salary very very loosely here um but just your downside guarantee is where you get you get this amount per year, no matter what. Um, okay. That kind of stuff is, uh, um, how are you saying? Um, you're seeing like 100,000 for like the low to mid range, um, but it's not unheard of to make millions of dollars in professional wrestling. You know, 5 million, 10 million. Um, Brock Lesnar was making, I think it was like $5 million and 15 matches the one year, you know, you, if you were big enough draw, they'll pay you whatever. Um, there's a, a gentleman named CM Punk, uh, Phil Brooks that was signed to AEW recently. And, uh, he was, um, the, the rumor is that he was making eight figures with that. Okay. Um, Obviously because it was a private company that, that kind of information is only like between you, me and the other person over here that, overheard them talking type of thing so you're never yeah. sure about stuff like that wwe is a little bit different they're a public entity they're a public tra- publicly traded company you could figure out exactly what everyone's making but in AEW can't because they're a private company but the people that own AEW have more money than god right now i mean they're they are multi 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 millionaires if not billionaires so they can afford to throw money at people to make their their product good as for the independent side um not so much Hmm. um i it's not unheard of to see people making 25 dollars a show and sometimes not even that especially when you're getting out you're just working for free and when i mean working you're putting up the ring you're putting out the seats you're cleaning the stuff up you're putting pipe and drape up you go through your match Maybe you're doing helping with their catering. People are gone. You sweep up, you pull up the chairs, you take down the ring, you put the ring into the truck and you go and you may not even see a dime. Hmm. And that happens a lot, especially in the first few years of, of professional wrestling, when you're still getting out, you're still trying to make your, make a name for yourself. Maybe you get a match. Maybe you don't, maybe you just drove there just to get in front of a promoter, just to say, hi, you know, hi, this is my value to you. I can do this stuff. I can promote your show. I can also give you a match too, while you're at it, you know, but it's, mm-hmm. and, and professional wrestling as a whole is still not gotten out of that. There, there's a, one of the biggest problems in professional wrestling as a whole is that you're expected to know things that nobody teaches you. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be in a, a, a school uh, for professional wrestling for six months and not know just simple etiquette things or simple ways on, on how to uh, market yourself to a promoter. Um, that's where guys like Rudo Bob Evans uh, come into play where um, he has his own little separate course on how to become a, you know, not just become a professional wrestler, but make it a profitable entry, entrepreneurship. And that's that's the kind of the key things where you're, it's not just about the professional wrestling getting paid for that, but it's also being paid for merchandise, you know, Mm -hmm. and 
one of my favorite quotes uh, of this gentleman right here, actually, uh, Kevin Steen, now Kevin Owens, is that he always thought he was a great wrestler, but he never knew that to be a successful professional wrestler, he had to be a great t-shirt salesman. And he made many, many multitudes of hundreds and thousands of dollars just by selling t-shirts. Not because mm -hmm. he was a great wrestler. He was a great wrestler. Don't get me wrong. And WWE is proving that because he's still working to that with them for like seven, eight years now. But he was also really good at marketing himself and marketing his merchandise to the point where he could actually survive solely on his professional wrestling and provide for his family. Because when he was on the indies, he literally had a kid um, and a second on the way just before he left for WWE. Wow. So I think that's a, a, a good overview. And I know we wanted to jump into this WWE Logan Paul versus Roman Reigns. I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about this. Yes. Um, so I recently was, I mean, I literally learned about this like last week in preparation for this interview. I did not know Logan Paul was going into WWE. I know the Pauls are getting into like boxing physical stuff. Um, and I think it's because people really like seeing them get hit, I, I suspect. Um, <laughs> but what, what are your thoughts on this? Okay. Now, you've probably figured out that pretty much a big fan of Japanese culture, Japanese wrestling, Japanese this and that. So it'll come to no surprise to you that I don't have the best feelings for Logan Paul for obvious reasons. Yeah. Suicide Forest and whatnot. Um, I will say this. This is not his first match in WWE. This is like his third or fourth. Um, Logan Paul has a work ethic that shocks me every single time I see him walk into any avenue, whether it's boxing, professional wrestling, YouTube, whatever. Okay. I don't like the guy, but I respect the work ethic. And the things he's done in professional wrestling is super critical to the reason why he's there in the first place, why WWE wanted him in the first place. The reason why we're talking about him right now is exactly the reason why he's in WWE. You're, you're not necessarily a fan of professional wrestling, but you know who Logan Paul is. You know what he does. So to get people that don't necessarily watch professional wrestling to watch professional wrestling is great. And it makes not just WWE a ton of money, but it actually trickles down as well. Well, that stuff over there, that has Logan Paul in it. That, that might be cool. Oh, look, there's a local independent wrestling show mm. that's like 10 bucks. We can go and see that. That might be similar to the same thing. And most of the time it is sometimes it's a little bit less quality because you know, you're talking the difference between somebody that's working in professional wrestling for 25 years versus somebody who's been working for maybe three to five, but the, the philosophy is still the same is that it trickles down in that respect. So to see celebrities in WWE and to, to get more eyes on the product that aren't necessarily WWE fans is a huge boon. And it's actually a very, very, big deal for any professional wrestling fan and of course professional wrestling fans on the internet will complain about absolutely anything for any reason at all i know 
I've been complaining about it for 10 years on the wrestling show podcast. So I, I, I've been there. <laughs> okay. But I, the, the reality is that you can't get away from the fact that a major star has walked into a company that maybe even five years ago wouldn't have attracted somebody like that. So hmm. what, what is the work ethic that he brought to WWE? You know, for people unfamiliar, I'm not familiar. What did he do that really surprised and um, like made you more, more welcoming of him that you referenced training. a minute ago? Training. Yeah. Training, 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 training. When, when celebrities walk into the professional wrestling business for the first time, most of the time it's, okay, we're going to do one match. Let's w- literally walk through every single spot you're going to mm. do. We, we had this conversation in the beginning of this show where some guys will literally one by one by bit by bit figure out exactly what you're doing. And it's nothing more than two actors fighting in a movie. A lot of celebrities that come into the ring do exactly that. This is exactly how it's going to go. And the professional wrestler, the actual professional wrestler in the ring will walk them literally through the match. They'll what's called carry the, the other person through the match, call everything, make sure that they're in the right position for everything. If they're off by a little bit, they rein them in a little bit. Logan Paul has done unbelievable things in terms of training on figuring out how to exactly actually wrestle it's not just about you know hey let's just get through this match by doing this spot this spot this spot he's actually going day after day after day training making sure he's doing bumps making sure that when he does a move or receives a move it's done smoothly everything he does in the ring is really smooth because he's practicing because he's training because he's doing all this stuff and it shows a respect to professional wrestling that most celebrities don't have. They're like, Oh, I'm a fan. This is what I'm going to do. And with all due respect to guys like Snoop Dogg, who's done one move, the, Oh my goodness. To the WWE hall of famer, Donald Trump, you know, (laughs) uh, he did things in the professional wrestling business. They're like, yikes. Uh, Maria Menudo's, um, even if you go further back, like uh, even uh, Cindy Lauper was involved with stuff and, you know, just pro- professional wrestling and, um, and celebrities have been, you know, hand in hand in a lot of that stuff, but it's always been a one shot thing, you know, one spot here, one spot there. Uh, another more recent one is uh, Johnny Knoxville from Jackass fame. Um, they did a great match in WrestleMania, but he was one of those guys that, he knew exactly what he was there for. He knew exactly what spot was going to happen. And that was it. They did a great job of it, but that was, it was only meant to be a one spot thing. Logan's really trying to make this a thing he does. You know what I mean? It's not just a, we're just going to do a one spot thing and call it a day. Pat McAfee is another one like that, where it's not just a one spot and make it done. He's actually doing multiple matches, you know, even though technically he's a celebrity, he's, he's a former, hunter i want to say i i'm not familiar as familiar with football as most guys for some reason uh, but he was like a very well-known kicker punter i i don't know but mm-hmm. he transitioned to professional wrestling he's a great commentator and he also can do matches and it's really great and logan paul falls in that same category where he's he's putting in the effort to actually do these types of matches and that's part of the reason why this show in saudi arabia 
is such a big deal because it's against the basically the top guy in the in WWE right now, Roman Reigns. And it's for the titles, the top titles. And obviously, you know, endings are predetermined. But this is a main event of a very, very well-known show in a arena that's going to have a ton of fans and is going to be broadcast all around the world. And he's been given a main event spot on that show. And that says everything you need to know about how much they believe in Logan Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, previously, he was in the mid card of WrestleMania. Yeah, he was an attraction, but it wasn't the top attraction there. Now he is the top attraction. So it, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. About where it is, is a whole nother subject for maybe another show. I'm not sure if you want to go deeper into that, but we'll, I'll let you drive back. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just sounds like he, other than just bringing eyes to the profession, I think something that I'm hearing from you is he showed respect to the sport, to the profession itself. And that's always, that, that's a, that is a really encouraging thing to hear that it's not just like a one-off or like a disrespectful thing to make money. I mean, it's all, it's all good to make money, but it's like, I think there's, uh, if you actually care about what you're doing, that's so so much more fun. What, why is it in Saudi Arabia? If I think when I think WD, I think of America, like, why isn't it not like in like Madison square garden or I don't know, like build a whole new little stage in the middle of like podunk Midwest and then bring everyone out. Well, they do that too for one, but yeah, but why, why is this one not? Is there like a thing? Yeah, there's a thing. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a big thing. So, um, I want to say it was about four or five years ago. The Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia reached out to WWE and a couple other sports too. You you um, what is it? Live Golf or whatever. There's a golf thing and there's something else that was a big deal. And one of the things that Saudi Arabia wanted to do was to reach out to the rest of the world basically and show off the new Saudi Arabia, how we're, we're a lot more modern than we thought than most people think we are. And we're a lot more, you know, you know, we're more accepting of people. And I think it was more of a uh, propaganda thing for the rest of the world to say, Hey, we're not as bloodthirsty, you know, jerks as everyone thinks we are. Um, And one of the big deals with that was that they contracted with WWE to the tune of, I think it was a billion dollars? Wow. Billion dollars for two shows a year for 10 years. Now, I don't know how you are financially speaking. I don't, Not billions. I, you know, I would have a hard time if I was running any company at all. Now, keep in mind, WWE is a big company. Big. They're a publicly traded company. Vince McMahon at the time was worth over a billion dollars himself. Okay. When somebody goes to you and says, I would like you to run 20 professional wrestling shows, things you already do. You already have the the equipment, the people, I just want you to come over on a plane, run the shows, 20 shows. And in return, I will give you $1 billion. Sounds like Sign me the fuck up. (laughs) You know, I mean, you can't not, okay? 
especially when you're a publicly traded company. And if your shareholders heard that you would turn something like that down, you yeah, would be the top block. Yeah. They can sue you, right? That's one of the reasons why uh, Elon doesn't want to bring SpaceX to uh, public. It's because they, they would they would sue over short-term uh, profit margin. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, that, and that's why WWE did it. This was before the Kamal uh, Jagshagi. I can't. I, I don't remember his name. He was a, a, a American journalist that was based in Saudi Arabia, and just so happened to disappear after mm. he was critical of the Crown Prince. And it was pretty much pretty well known that they killed him and covered it up. But. It's, it's always been a touchy subject whenever these Saudi shows are brought up because you're, you're basically being paid with blood money. Hmm. And I, I've always been on the side of, yeah, they should probably have canceled the, the they have an out at that point. They could say, no, we shouldn't be doing this. They instead are choosing to keep going there and keep doing these shows and, and keep basically getting blood money because mm -hmm. every single time they get so much more money, they get around 50 million a show. Um, so it's like, I'm, I'm conflicted about it. I, I personally would have um, pulled out. There are certain wrestlers that will not go to those shows. There are certain um, like the first few shows, they would not allow women wrestlers on the show um, because the yeah. whole, deal with that now they're allowing them to happen but they have to have special gear they have to be fully like literally fully from toe to finger all the way up to here have to be fully covered you know to be able to wrestle and it's just that that philosophy of look at what you're doing what you're you're giving up from a non-monetary standpoint to do these shows is just ugh. And I've always had a problem with it personally, but you know. Well, you um, yeah, I, I I see the complexity of it. The will you be going like in person or doing the PPP? Are you are you you and your group gonna like uh, boycott it or something? I don't know how people to handle that at, type of thing. At this point, we just watch it because we review yeah. it. We so um the wrestling show with sleazy and the fat man. I'm sleazy, obviously. Uh, um. What we do on the podcast is we review um, the most recent um, special events, premium live events, um, depending on what's what's out there. Like uh, uh, this past week, we reviewed uh, a WWE event. Two weeks okay. from now, we'll review an AEW event. We'll also be reviewing this uh, the Saudi show. You know, okay. So we watch these shows. We're it's not like we're not going to watch this show, um, but it's what are you going to do you can the the thing is that boycotting the show doesn't work in wwe's land because to boycott it you're unsubscribing to a monthly service okay i mean okay i'll unsubscribe for a week and what are they going to do oh my goodness i lost 9.99 a month and in <laughs> the united states it's not even that WWE network, the, the streaming service that is, uh, uh, given, given to 
you know, for subscribers to watch all the premium live events, it's, it's not actually its own service anymore. It's tied to Peacock. So yeah. to watch these shows, you're actually watching them through the Peacock app. So when you actually boycott the show, you're not even boycotting WWE, you're boycotting Peacock, which makes yeah. no sense at all. So th there's no point in doing it anymore. And, and, and to be fair, the other professional wrestling networks like High Spots, New Japan World, and, and um, IWTV, and all the other ones that are out there, yeah, you might be able to make a dent in that stuff, but WWE is this massive ball, and it's going to roll whether you're on it or not. So That makes sense. Yeah, well, um, I guess in a perfect world, if you're making the decisions, and you could put it anywhere on the globe, in including Antarctica if you really wanted to, where would you set it? Where, where would you set up the Logan Paul and Roman um, uh, match? Dallas. Dallas? Dallas, Texas, specifically in the 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 big uh, dome that's there. Um, I'm drawing a blank of what it's called now. I, I think I can picture it. I think most it, people can picture it. It's huge. Yeah, it's, it's humongous. Um, I could see them trying to run it to to fit over a hundred thousand people in there. That's how, Man. that's how I would do it. The only other place that might actually um, do that type of show. And especially if it were, if you had the right backing and you didn't want to step on any toes, you do it with new Japan pro wrestling and run it in the Tokyo dome. Hmm. Is the Tokyo dome bigger than um, Dallas? I can't imagine many things are bigger than Dallas. It's big. It's pretty big. It's it's, I wouldn't say it's the biggest, um, I think there's a, a a venue in South Korea that currently holds the record for the most people in a an arena. It's like 180,000 or some ridiculous number that nobody can actually prove. But mm. yeah, um, we gotta step it up. We gotta get a bigger uh, stadium. That's yeah, we well, have all the land for it. <laughs> yeah, right. I well the the I don't know who. It, I guess it's a Cowboys stadium, I guess. I, I don't yeah. know for sure. Um, I don't imagine Cowboys, yeah. My my sports knowledge is like this. Um, but I know it's a huge arena. Um, the indoor attendance record was set in there with the 2010 NBA All-Star Game. Um, so, And that was 108,000 people. So if WWE could do that with Logan Paul versus Roman Reigns, I would run it there too, but they make more money by doing it in Saudi. Cause I guarantee yeah. you the Saudi crown prince said, yes, I would like Logan Paul, please. Yeah. So, <laughs> but. Yeah. Makes sense. The, so then, um, if, I mean, you can't like predict the storyline too much, but, um, if you were writing it, if you were in the, uh, writer's room for the Logan Paul, uh, Roman, uh, match what, what what would be some of the things that would happen in your mind like what, what would be the things that you'd be excited to see if you could be a, either a part of it or just as a fan it's fine if you want to dissect your brain or or segment it in that way so you're, you're basically asking me how i would book it right so like from from the moment they start the match to the end yeah how how would okay. you how would you love to see it just the, the yeah my my thought would be to so my philosophy in booking this booking matches in general, especially when you're talking about a big match like this is you want to make sure that both people look good at the end, even though one has to lose one has to win. Mm. Um, so in this type of match, 
Logan Paul is relatively new, so to speak, to professional wrestling. So there's no reason for him to win this match. So Roman's got to win. So if you look at it from that and work your way backwards, the best probably way to do it is to have Logan Paul uh, do a bunch of things early in the, the match, work it through so that he looks good. And then because Roman's considered the bad guy in this feud, in this match, um, Rowan would probably have somebody come down and distract Logan Paul before Roman beat him. Hmm. So that that's probably how it's going to go. And that's probably the best way it should go. Uh, in my opinion, it still makes Logan Paul look good. He, he went one-on-one with the top guy in WWE and he may have lost, but he looks good in defeat. It took Rome, one of Roman's guys to, to help him to beat, to beat Logan Paul. Will that happen? Who knows? We don't know because that stuff obviously very secretive because mm-hmm. you want to keep that secret. Yeah. Um, but that's how I would do it. Is it possible to have one of those like Rocky moments where like the fists are coming at the same time? So you can't tell who won, you know, in the sense of like, like a tie without it being a tie. Like how could um, you like obfuscate it in that way? There's actually a term for it. It's called a dusty finish. Um, and the dusty finishes, uh, it was coined by a man named Dusty Rhodes, uh, uh, Cody Rhodes's father, Dustin Rhodes's father. Um, he was a very well-known booker and professional wrestler, seventies, eighties, uh, also well-known for facing Ric Flair a bunch of times in the NWA. And one of the key things to a dusty finish is that, um, you'll have one guy win, looks like he won, but the ref's knocked out. And he didn't actually win or um, one person will be in a submission hold and they're tapping out, but at the same time they're being pinned and the referee's counting the one, two, three, and the other person wins. And then there's some, you know, question of who actually won first was the referee correct. Um, Additionally, there's things like uh, double count outs where both guys are, are fighting outside of the ring and they have till a count of 10 to get back into the ring. Otherwise they both lose and it's a draw. Uh, same with double disqualifications where they're both fighting with weapons and they shouldn't be or something of that nature. There's multiple ways that you can do a draw like that, especially in different types of matches, not just regular matches. Mm-hmm. I could see, um, you know, something like that happen. And then there's like a rematch. So then like it, it builds even further, kind of like a, like bubbling of water. What has allowed Roman to be the champion for so long? Like, how has he retained the title, especially if it, there's like arcs to it? So, in terms of how they're building the storyline with him? Yeah. 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 What's, um, like externally, like from a story standpoint, what's allowing him to, you know, maintain it? And then internally, like behind the curtains, what do you think's up, keep, keeping him there? Externally, they're doing a good job of making him this badass unbeatable bad guy Hmm. and there is nothing better in professional wrestling than a good guy chasing a bad guy especially at the top that's what makes the most money in general and that's always been a pretty much well-known opinion of professional wrestling booking it's a, a, a booking concept um in terms of why it's roman specifically yeah is because his cousin's a rock He's from the 
uh, legendary family that includes Afa, Sika, Yokozuna, The Rock, you know, pretty much everybody in the Samoan dynasty. So there's a, a long history of professional wrestling within his family. So he is a wrestler. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He, he, he bleeds this business pretty much unlike most anybody else, even in the business. So there's that sense of respect there. Additionally, Roman has done a great job of, for lack of a better term, selling merchandise. Even as a bad guy, he's one of the top sellers of merchandise in WWE, which is not normal, actually. Most of the time, he'll sell tickets, bad guys sell tickets, faces, good guys sell merchandise. Hmm. Because you want to support the good guy, but you want to buy the ticket to see the bad guy get beat up. And that's a, a, a big philosophy of professional wrestling. So to have a guy like Roman, who is a traditionally a bad guy and has been a bad guy for a long time, still selling a lot of merchandise is unique in this situation. And that's why he's been champion for nearly two years. So, and when that happens, when that bubble bursts, when Roman finally loses that match and that title, it's going to explode. And the question is, who is it going to be? And how much of a, a huge megastar will be made because of it. Who would you want to see defeat him? Who would I get... want? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, from a personal opinion, I I will always choose guys that I'm very you know close with, guys like Kevin Owens, who should be dethroning him. Probably it's going to be Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes is currently uh, he tore his pec muscle clean off the bone and he's wow. been out for like five six months there's a possibility he'll be back for next year's wrestlemania we don't know if that's actually going to happen or not but if he does come back he's probably going to be the one that that takes the title because um he was poised to be that guy so that makes sense um and uh, just circling back on this concept what what do you think's allowing him to have the duality of selling merch but still being the bad guy is there some aspect of his of his uh, arc or storyline or him just as an entertainer that's allowing it in your mind? Like how, how is he able to, to, to wield both so uh, de deftly? He's good at his job. Mm. It's, it's just simple as that. I mean, he has an aura about him that is absolutely untouchable. He has guys that are with him that are great. And once again, they have a different, there's a, three ring circus within his own little group. You have, you know, this, you have obviously Roman, the big baddie, the boss. Then you have his cousins who are tag team champions who are also twins. And then you have their cousin who's like this big badass, you know, like mini boss. And then you have a guy that's uh Sammy Zane um, who is, completely unrelated to all of them but has endeared himself into the group and it's this almost like comedy relief piece within this like very serious group and it's made this whole dynamic that's really funny really cool and just as a general rule for some reason professional wrestling fans like to to um 
herd towards groups towards like cliques of some sort like mm. this is uh this iteration with romans called the bloodline but before then there was like the nexus and and if you want to talk back in like 2000s you had the nwo and that, the nwo was the reason why wcw was so popular in in 1998 till 2000 they were they were the reason why they were beating uh wwe for so long was because of this angle called the nwo and it was all about you know groups and the wolf pack and all that stuff and as you look through uh life and times some of the best storylines are done through faction-based wrestling you know mm. a group of guys versus a group of guys and it allows for a lot of different uh mini storylines within them yeah the two factions are fighting but jeff and joe over there really hate each other so you know or or jeff and joe's sister are now you know an item and that's a whole new storyline you know and there's all sorts of cool things like that and i think that with the bloodline here with roman they've done a great job of of playing up a lot of different storylines within the main storyline of roman being this big invincible boss it makes a lot of sense um there's just a lot of stuff it's like kind of like a I mean, this is like a weird comparison, but it's like Romeo and Juliet, like those like really timeless stories of like two families who hate each other and whether it's romance or just uh, uh, even like bromances or whatever, it like puts them at odds. That's really interesting. Is there is there anything that's, um, I guess, like maybe underplayed or arcs or, or ways of doing storytelling that you feel like don't get as much attention, but they're like a little bit more subtle that you enjoy? A comedy, comedy wrestling. Yeah, yeah, yeah comedy. A big one. Um, a lot of it's very uh it's very divisive um you either really like comedy wrestling or you really don't my my co-host is definitely not a comedy wrestling fan um so a lot of his stuff is more about you know hard-hitting strong style stuff you know technique and all that stuff I'm a lot more whimsical when it comes to professional wrestling. If you can make me laugh during a professional wrestling match, it's that much better for me. Are there, um, so comedy as the genre, do they still have the similar story structure? They just have the comedy added to it or do they go in an entirely different direction and like telling the stories? Sometimes. Um, one of the bigger comedy acts right now is a gentleman named Orange Cassidy. Um, Orange Cassidy worked for AEW. He he's based his his character is he is the equivalent of a sloth. You know, hmm. he he gets into the ring slow. He does everything slow and all that type. You know, it's just everything's just whatever, man. You know, but the way it's done in a, a regular match is so wonderfully executed, and the fact that he can change it up to face like some real like if he if you put him against like a roman reigns who's a very serious wrestler he's there to, to beat the crap out of you and dot 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 you're going to get a completely different match because his style of professional wrestling is different but it does fit into the mold of a normal match whereas some of the stuff in like ddt um pro, pro wrestling in japan it can be anything um, at one point, one guy got pinned by a ladder for the 24-7 championship. So there is an actual, in their records, there is a listing of the 
DDT heavy metal weight champion is this holder was a ladder. <laughs> He's actually a multiple time champion that ladder. Hmm. You know, that's, a, that's the kind of stupid, ridiculous stuff that happens in that type of uh, professional wrestling. And there's a, um, there's a common uh, spot in Chikara where they had a fake grenade go off and it was a, an invisible grenade. Um, another one is um, Bryce Rensburg, a friend of the show, now an AEW uh, uh, referee. One of the key, one of the cool things he did a couple years ago, at a, a professional wrestling event, is he refed a match between the Invisible Man and Invisible Stan. <laughs> no joke. I, it was probably one of my favorite matches in the last couple of years in terms of comedy, because Bryce is so good at um, doing all sorts of different um, movements, gestures, that kind of stuff to like sketch comedy, prop comedy, improv, all that stuff made this match into an amazing moment. You can find it free on YouTube. Um, I could probably send you guys a link to it, um, but it is a great example of how broad prof professional wrestling can go in terms of what you can see and what you can experience out there. And this was in the same show that included a no ring death match or no roped barbed wire death match. I think maybe it had light tubes in it. I can't remember, but it was the same show point B. The, wow. The, the barbed wire would have, have me concerned getting near that rings with all the stuff that they do. Um, does, does this passion of yours, like how does it um, affect your personal life? Is this like, do you have like rooms of uh, memorabilia? I don't know. Like uh, how does it, Maybe this is just like personal and professional, like you've just welded them together so so uh, acutely. But um, I'm curious, how does this passion affect uh, your personal life? Um, probably in a few different ways. Number one, I, I don't I don't do much collecting. In fact, I had to be forced to put these up. This is actually the set of the wrestling show for mm -hmm. me. So I I kind of got forced into having something behind me. Uh, for oh, that's the nice. For the most part, I don't usually like to take pictures. I don't like to take, especially with other professional wrestlers, um, mainly because I feel like it's like taking a picture with your coworker. Unless you're close with them, I, I feel like it's a, it, it feels weird. It's awkward. For yeah. Me. Um, other guys are not so much like that. A lot of them have pictures with all sorts of people. For me, professional wrestling especially me being as a performer scratches an inch of mine just to be able to perform but it's also helped me in public speaking circumstances um in my professional life i do a lot of public speaking about uh information security and stuff like that so i'll do webinars i'll do i'll talk to staff about you know fishing and social engineering and all that kind of stuff and my life as a professional wrestler has allowed me to to take those skills and bring it to, to that arena, so to speak. Additionally, professional wrestling mainly happens on the weekends. So a lot of times I'm not here on the weekends. Um, obviously nowadays I've kind of pulled back from that, but there were times where I was on the road every weekend after working five days a week. So there was a lot of long lonely nights and times where it sucks, frankly, yeah. you know, being on the road for six, seven hours each way, getting back at 
4 a.m., 5 a.m. Wow. After the show, after you've been hurt, you know, it just, it, it, it takes a toll on you sometimes. That's intense. Yeah. I'd wish there'd be like a like convoy or something that could go with you just to at least be entertaining on the drive. That, that drive after that's, that's intense. Like, yeah. uh, that's a, like a lot of mental strength there alone. Like physically that's, that's something, but just the men, the mentality of driving 14 hours in a day, that's a lot. And you know, most people are like, Oh, that's not a big deal. Drive 14 hours, <laughs> go do yeah. it. Yeah. And just imagine everything that you're having to do with on top of that. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you've made it safely and that there weren't any, hopefully there were no accidents. Um, yes. You know, I'm a, about a year ago, there were four guys from Buffalo that were coming back from Ottawa, I believe it was for a show. Um, and on the way back, uh, they caught a bit of ice slammed hmm. in their guardrail and two out of four of them were in the hospital for a week. Um, the other two were also very injured. Um, and they, they were called the Buffalo boys. Um, because shocker, they're from Buffalo, New York. Um, That's good but, right. Uh, but the four of them were very, very injured because of that. And obviously, you know, in professional wrestling, we're small group you know we try and cover each other as much as possible we don't always make as much money as we can but gofundmes were done and all that stuff and we tried our best to help them um two out of the four of them um are one is definitely under contract with AEW now one works for them on occasion the other two are very well known indie stars now and the fact that they went from that in less than a year to very prominent areas where they're making a ton of money just warms my heart because that could have been the end of their careers easily. So to see that kind of, and a lot of people don't get that luxury guys like draws who, you know, had one slip up in the ring and was paralyzed for the rest of his life and died a few years ago. But he, he spent the rest of his life paralyzed because he got something slipped and something happened and broke his neck. Stone Cold Steve Austin only had a four-year, four or five-year long career in WWE because he had his neck broken by uh, the late Owen Hart, who had an accident in the ring and was killed in the ring. Um, it, it, the wrestling industry is very much wrought with just a lot of very bad things people die early in this business and sometimes it's because of mistakes most of the time it's because of the drugs and alcohol that are afterwards sometimes it's because of you know just poor choices Mm -hmm. well I don't want to send there. So let's talk right? about your... <laughs> There we go. Heavy downer. Yes. It'd, be, it'd be a funny way. No, you're doing great. I mean, that's, that's, you can't, I mean, it's both sides of the coin. It's a, it's everything. You have to be able to look at everything. Um, what's your future? Like, what do you think, what are you planning for in the next like year or two for yourself? Um, wrapping up my career, <laughs> basically. Um, we'll be continuing doing the wrestling show. Um, I don't know how long we'll continue it but we've been around for 10 years. It's always been a standing joke that we're going to be 
um, doing this show as long as uh, Colt Cabana does his, because we've always billed ourselves as the second longest running wrestling podcast after Colt's and Colt just won't stop. If he stops, then we'll stop. But if he ain't stopping, we're not stopping. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's in terms of an active in-ring career, I'm, I'm probably never going to put a match on ever again. I'll probably do some more managing. I'll probably do more backstage stuff. I may promote a show or two, um, but I'll probably never get physical in the ring as a normal competitor ever again. Is there anything that's driving that desire to take a step back? 37 years old and I'm already hurting. Okay. Yeah. That's enough. You yeah. got, you, you're listening to your body then. Yeah. Um, I, I'm 285 pounds. I'm not in the best of shape. Um, never was in great shape to begin with. I could get through a match, but I'm always like, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was already taking a toll. Wrestling hurts. You may yeah. not always get injured, but it always hurts. It does hurt to take a bump. It always, it does hurt to get smacked in the face, as John Stossel will tell you. You know, it <laughs> sure. does, it does matter. It does to do this stuff. This ain't ballet, as they would say. You know, there are. It is very physical what we do in the ring. So taking a step back from the physicality of it, but you're, do you do you still see yourself being a part? of the profession like the podcast may be a wind down but are you going to keep doing this for the rest of your life like uh is it is it going to be still a core component of um uh, your life in that way as long gonna... as people will listen I'll always... as long... there you go um and where can people check you out is there like a good way do you have like a if, the, if if there's like one great way for people to just stay up to date i know you have like a, a website a wordpress website if i remember but uh yeah like we have we... the wrestling show.com yeah. Um, okay. There can, you go. You can find us pretty much everywhere uh, on Facebook, on Twitter. I'll, I'll obviously I'll send all the links to you. Um, we, you name it, we probably have something on there. We do TikTok. We, even as a joke, we have an OnlyFans. You know, that oh, was, that's great. That was a whole bit that turned into something real. Um, there, I'm glad it works for you. Uh, work is a is a relative term i guess <laughs> mm -hmm. in this but yeah it was one of those things where we did it as a bit and i was like unless we really grab hold of that we might have a problem in the future so we now have an only fans <laughs> so but yeah it, twitter is the big one uh you can find the show at at sleazy fat man myself is at tws sleazy um you can find, you can probably find matches of me everywhere um, on Excite Wrestling's uh, Twitch page at twitch.tv slash Excite, X-C-I-T-E, wrestling. Um, you can find our show in video form on Twitch as well, twitch.tv slash Sleazy and the Fat Man. And just as a, the last question, why Sleazy? Um. <laughs> It was an old nickname from middle school. Um, it was <laughs> such a dumb story. Um, so you're in middle school. I was in middle school. We were all in middle school, right? We have dumb friends. We were dumb, horny kids and whatnot. And I was uh, trying to get the wiles of a, a female classmate 
And uh, my best friend, Fat Man, uh, said, well, if uh, you're going to go after somebody like her, you're, you're just nothing but a sleazy hoe. And it stuck for 25 years. Have you grown 20- to love it, though? Have oh, you grown yeah, to love absolutely. it? Okay, I, there you go. Well, I am the king of yes and. You know, I mean, I leaned in so deeply into that. Um, I lean into pretty much everything I do. You know, mm-hmm. podcast started with um, the the original tagline for the wrestling show was two assholes on a $3 mic talking about professional wrestling because it was literally that, you know, two guys. Well, I mean, it was literally a $3 mic that I bought at a Goodwill. You know, that was our entire, you know, setup for three, four years, you know, because we didn't have much money at the time. Um, we were both unemployed 10 years ago. We, I had just gotten away from a job. Uh, fat man wasn't working all that much. So we had some time to play around with stuff and it turned into this huge show. And 10 years later, now we're, we're officially our 10 years is, uh, this coming month. And we've got friends from it. We've gone to huge shows we've gone to many cities because of it we've you know talked to so many great uh professional wrestlers so many uh people that have been involved in the business all sorts of different experiences that we would not have had had we not had the professional wrestling podcast so if nothing else that's the key thing that i wanted to take away from the from the wrestling show is that it's given us all these experiences that you see in the wall behind me thank you for joining us today with the learn with lowell show check us out at learnwithlowell.com anywhere podcast can be found subscribe tell me what you thought of this episode check us out on youtube in particular that's a new thing i'm doing uh timestamps and links are in the show notes thank you for coming and i hope everyone every one of you found something today that you're curious about to learn more about and you'll go out and be curious and learn something new thank you and have a great rest of your day